WPS, the Puget Sound podcast, where we're talking with members of our campus community about their Puget Sound experiences. I'm Elena Becker, and today my guest is Kate Harris, a senior from Salt Lake City, Utah. Today, as always, the podcast has been recorded and produced by Moonyard Studio right here in Tacoma. Here's Kate. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I'm delighted to have you here. And I want to, I think, start by actually talking to you about a little bit of what we were talking about when you sat down, which is you've just come back to Tacoma. And then right as you were sitting down, you said that it had been a year since you've yes. been here. <laughs> it has. Walk, walk me through why. Yeah, well, I was abroad in Granada, Spain um, through the ILACO program. Uh, in the fall of 2019, and it was an amazing time. I came to Puget Sound absolutely hating the Spanish language and (laughs) committing myself to never speaking another word of Spanish ever again, Um, and now I'm a Spanish major, so (laughs) uh, that's kind of how it goes at Puget Sound. I took some classes originally for the language requirement for, you know, the core requirements, and then ended up falling in love with the department and the professors, and I was encouraged to Uh, go abroad to Spain. Um, Coming into Puget Sound, I knew going abroad was something that was a big priority for me. It wasn't really a question of if, but where, where I was going to go and, and kind of being led into the Spanish department. I was encouraged to study abroad um, in a Spanish speaking country to kind of pick up more credits that way. So um, yeah, I chose Granada, Spain. I was debating between Oaxaca, Mexico um, and Granada, Spain, which are two programs that are both run directly through Puget Sound. Um, and they were both, they both seemed amazing. It was a really hard choice, but I ultimately settled on Spain. Um, yeah. And I spent four months there from August to December. Um, it was amazing. It was fully language immersive. Um, all of my classes were in Spanish. I lived with a host family, um, a very, very sweet, wonderful lady named Nati. Um, and I had a housemaid and it was just amazing. I traveled all around Europe and had the best four months and got it in just under the wire before these (laughs) crazy times. Um, so yeah, so I came back to the States uh, just before Christmas time, end of December, uh, and then I actually stayed in my hometown of Salt Lake City, Utah for a spring semester, and I interned for the governor of Utah um, in a communications internship during the legislative session. So I worked with Professor Robin Jacobson in the politics and government department to kind of work out that internship because um Legislative internships are common for (laughs) politics and government students, but they're not common to do outside of the state of Washington. Most students (laughs) choose to do them here, which is very logical. Um, (laughs) But I had this kind of harebrained idea that I wanted to go outside of Washington and do it in my home state, um, specifically because I wanted kind of a different experience of interning in a primarily red Republican state Mm -hmm. um, and kind of coming back to Puget Sound and discussing that. Um, That really appealed to me. Um, I'm really interested in the politics of Utah because there's a lot of religious influence with um, the LDS church um, and it's a primarily red state. And I just I wanted a little bit more of perspective on coming back to campus and and adding, you know, what is it like to work for a Republican governor? Um, so, yeah, so I worked uh, in Salt Lake City from the beginning of the legislative session in January until it ended in March. And I was supposed to come back and share all of my findings and experiences on campus, but unfortunately that didn't work out. So we did it online and I was still able to share everything. So yeah, it was, uh, it was an amazing experience. Well, and just to your point, 
what was it like? I mean, partly in the everyday, like what kind of stuff did you do when you went to work in this internship? And then what were kind of some of your higher order takeaways from it? Right. Um, Well, I was a communications intern. So I was on the communications team for the governor and the lieutenant governor. Um, So we mostly handled anything that had to do with communicating with the public. Um, So whether that be, you know, press conferences or um, Twitter, Facebook, um, any sort of like Q&A, monitoring all of the press releases that were being sent out. Um, So that was kind of our job. But my kind of duty as the intern kind of low on the on the food chain um, is I was in charge of communications with students. So we'd get a lot of letters or emails from either elementary, middle school, high school students curious about local government. Um, and what it was like. And so my wonderful job was to communicate with them. So I sent a lot of emails and letters, sometimes handwritten, uh, responding to students and answering their questions about local government. And actually, I learned a lot. I think that was one of my biggest takeaways is I didn't really understand, you know, how local government worked. (laughs) I think, you know, I'm I'm a politics and government major. So I had kind of a general understanding, but I was able to get a really in-depth look of, you know, what the nitty gritty is like. Um, And I was actually very pleasantly surprised with how much of a priority it was for local government to really respond to every single person that contacted us um, and make sure everybody feels heard in their government. If they have a question, um, they wanted it to be answered. So I was actually really proud to be able to respond to all of the students. and, And just to imagine, you know, one of the fourth grade students getting a letter back from the governor and, you know, I signed the letters as the governor, um, (laughs) which I think was, you know, kind of fun. They get a letter, you know, signed from the governor um, and kind of seeing that. But then I was also kind of the the right hand man for anybody on the communications team in terms of setting up for press conferences um, or sending, you know, tweets or Facebook posts out to the public or radio shows, things like that. Um, And it definitely got more interesting as coronavirus kind of (laughs) snuck its way into the legislative session. Um, Near the end, we had a press conference every single day um, monitoring that. So I got to, I really got to see, you know, how much work and just the, the amount of work um, and pressure that there is in local government to communicate with the public and, and uh, yeah, and just spread, spread all the messages that need to be spread. And especially in a time of, you know, a pandemic, not to spread panic and fear, but to do their best to answer questions and, you know, comfort the public and, and do the best they can. So, yeah, it was just, I, I don't think that a career in government is necessarily in my future after this internship. I realized, um, you know, it's, it's a very different uh, kind of nitty gritty experience than I may have anticipated before, but it was very eye opening for sure. Well, you actually sort of preempted my follow-up question, which was going to be, is this the kind of thing that you might want to do professionally? But going into this internship, was it? Was that part of the intent is, oh, I'm, because I think you're also a politics and government major, right? You're a double major? Mm -hmm. So I'm a double major in politics and government and Spanish, yeah. And so was the intent going in, maybe I want to work in government and let's give that a whirl? Sort of. Um, I've always known that I wanted to go to law school. Um, that was something that's really always interested in me. So I was kind of curious to see, you know, am I going to go to law school and then maybe go into the government sector? Am I going to the law sector? I, I wasn't really sure what kind of awaited me after law school, but I knew that that was the first step. So yeah, this internship was kind of, you know, dipping my toe in the pool of government and seeing what a local government job is like. Um, and I, 
I definitely think it's not necessarily for me. Um, but I'm really glad I did it because I wouldn't have known prior to this experience um, if it was for me. But I got to meet a lot of really amazing lobbyists um, during the experience. And I definitely think um, that has really inspired me to kind of go into not necessarily lobbying, um, but maybe working on like the nonprofit sector um, of, of law. And because I got to meet a lot of uh, advocates and voices from nonprofits who were up on the hill um, lobbying and advocating for their organizations. Um, and that was really inspiring to kind of meet them and talk to them. So in a way, you know, it kind of led me in the right direction. And in a way, it kind of led me away from government. But um, I have only the utmost respect for every single local government worker. They work harder than a lot of people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> well, and I actually, in listening to you, was thinking that that's Maybe another really interesting takeaway from that kind of experience is when I think of a lobbyist, I sort of think of like the monopoly man and the proverbial smoke filled room. Right, right. It's not a term that calls to mind to me like social advocates or change makers, but that is 100% how you just described it based on your experience in local government. And that's exactly. another striking to me about maybe the difference between getting to see something like this up close in action in your community versus thinking about it really writ large on a, a federal or an international level. Absolutely, for sure. And I think working as an intern and kind of being at the bottom for most of it, I actually got a lot more exposure to a lot of these organizations than maybe some of the other employees did, mostly because they kind of put me at the front desk for my first few weeks, <laughs> um, working at the front desk of the governor's office and seeing who came in. Um, and I got to talk to so many interesting people and just really inspiring people who every day came into the governor's office and they would request a meeting and they were advocating um, for various causes. Um, there's a really big environmental movement in Utah um, because Salt Lake City has one of the worst uh, air quality measures of really any other state in the, in the nation. Um, so I got to speak to a lot of environmental activists um, and just kind of hear what it was all about. And during the session um, and, and their influence in policymaking, um, it was really fascinating. So I definitely think um, that's kind of in the back of my mind now moving forward. Mm. I'm also really curious about the logistics of, of doing this. And I realize the coronavirus kind of threw a wrench into things, but with the original plan, I wouldn't think it's that usual for students to be able to sort of take half a semester off. I mean, yes. <laughs> like, how's that work? <laughs> uh, it's it, it, it takes a lot of planning and logistics. Yeah. Um, but it is spearheaded by Professor Robin Jacobson. She is a miracle worker in the politics and government mm -hmm. department. She is my personal hero. Um, she It's kind of her, her little baby, this program. Um, and she's kind of in charge of all of the students who want to do legislative internships. Um, and she designs it so that you can go and work full time um, and not be in class during the internship. So you can have a really immersive experience. Um, and then when the legislative session is over, uh, around mid-March, uh, you return to campus and she teaches two courses um, at an accelerated rate. So you have the classes slightly more often, they're a little bit longer, um, and you meet with her and it's a really small class. It's just however many students were in the internship program. Um, and you talk about local government and comparative state politics um, and kind of reflecting on your experiences with the legislature. Um, so those classes are um, kind of half a semester long, but it's designed so that you get a full semester's worth of credit. So you're still a full-time enrolled student. You don't have to, you know, 
take any like official time off or any semesters off. Um, on paper, it looks like a traditional semester, but obviously in practice, it's not that way. <laughs> so she designed it as well to, uh, we were kind of supposed to be talking about comparative state politics. And then as coronavirus hit, we pivoted the course material entirely and instead talked about uh, state response to coronavirus and compared, you know, Washington and Utah, and then eventually all 50 states on what their response was. So Professor Jacobson is very amazing, <laughs> in short. Well, and without asking you to pass judgment on the coronavirus response of either Washington or Utah, I imagine that that actually is a really interesting case for thinking about state power and federalism, which I think not to get too heady, but in like the contemporary United States, I think we often consider those things to be fairly fixed, right? We put a lot of stock in the federal government and in things like Supreme Court decisions or like the United States Congress in terms of setting the national conversation. But I think this has been a really interesting example of the power of the state still. And I imagine see it firsthand and then talk about it and learn about it is just like amazing. It was, it was mind blowing. And you hit the nail right on the head with federalism. We, we kind of just dove into federalism and what that means in terms of state to state response. Um, and we started, tell us what federalism means for anybody who doesn't know too. So basically in the way that we were looking into it, federalism was this idea, um, kind of breaking down centralized versus decentralized government. Um, so federalism is kind of this overall overarching approach to government of kind of as we see it at the national level, or as some people call it the federal level. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the president and the Supreme Court, as you were saying, um, but kind of breaking it down um, in the other direction and saying, OK, but what about state power? What about local governments? Um, what kind of power do they have? So we kind of looked into kind of starting out the, the, the course, looked into comparisons of, you know, pandemics and natural disasters. So how, in what ways are those similar? Because um, they're both, you know, big events that are kind of unforeseen that affect populations in massive ways. So we actually looked at Louisiana's response to Hurricane Katrina um, and how, you know, how were they prepared for a natural disaster? How were they prepared for this unforeseen circumstance? And what were the, you know, <laughs> what was the fallout of that situation? And how has it affected their government today. So we kind of started looking at that and saying, you know, what was the national response? Obviously, at that time, there was a lot of controversy with President Bush at the time and the national response to those natural disasters. So then we kind of used that background to move forward and say, okay, how is this similar to this global pandemic? Um, and we looked at states like Florida, for example, who <laughs> relied very heavily on national guidance. They were, you know, relying on kind of the relationship between the governor and the president um, and what to do. And then states like New Mexico that have taken a completely decentralized approach and kind of done their own thing because they have their own specific priorities, um, specifically in New Mexico with the indigenous populations. Um, they saw that as this is going to be a really big issue. We're specific in that way. A lot of other states don't have the same population of indigenous communities as we do. Um, so they kind of took it into their own hands. So being able to analyze state to state, you know, are they taking in, you know, specific priorities that they have and, you know, specific situations that are unique to their state, or are they relying on a national response um, like Florida with opening the beaches really early and not having enough testing centers and things like that. So yeah, we ended up doing a 50 state comparison and running data and uh, it was, it was intense and it was a lot of work, but it was 
really fascinating to be doing the research as things were happening. We were constantly updating our data every single day um, with new information that was coming out. So yeah, and a very eye-opening experience for sure. I was going to say in some ways that almost seems like an extension of your internship, right? Is not just how do you understand the ways in which like the the machine works or the infrastructure works, but also then to to start doing the kind of data modeling that's tracking a real situation in real time that's uncontrollable. I mean, that even though you weren't doing it as a component of the office of the governor of Utah, that seems very much like the kind of work that someone in that position would want to do. Absolutely. It's the exact work that the task force for coronavirus was doing right as I was leaving the internship. Um, That's the work that they had begun doing. um, And I felt like I kind of got to continue doing it even after the internship was over. Um, So it was a brilliant pivot in, in course material by Professor Jacobson. She recognized that there was this kind of national need to study this and to look into it. Um, And I think her perspective from it as well was, this is scary. You know, this is a situation that none of us have lived through. Um, and, and kind of her way of reasoning through you know, this really scary and, you know, unprecedented times, as we say, um, is to look at the data and what does it mean and what, and what patterns are we finding and kind of reasoning through in that way. I actually found to be really helpful as well to kind of lay it out all on the table and understand it from a more kind of objective way. One thing that we should maybe say for listeners, because this is obvious to you and obvious to me, but maybe not to everyone, is for Professor Jacobson to do that kind of pivot mid-semester is a huge work for her. Like to, I mean, faculty will plan their syllabi like months and years in advance and then make tweaks here and there. And so for her to write like a whole new course outline essentially and design new assignments and models and readings and discussion topics kind of on the fly like that is is a really big commitment from her to a learning opportunity in a way Absolutely. that is almost unfathomable. Mm-hmm. And she taught a pop-up course as well. Additional to our course that we were learning about coronavirus, she endeavored to teach a pop-up quarter credit class. So it was a class that met just once a week, um, basically kind of piggybacking off of our course. And the findings that we were discovering in our course, we then moved to this pop-up course that anybody from Puget Sound could take. Um, And all of the students in our course from the internship were moderators in the pop-up course. And we all participated in saying, okay, this week, this is the research that we did. And these were our findings. Um, And kind of teaching the broader Puget Sound community um, of what we were finding and what we were reading. Um, So it was not just our course that she planned, but she also taught an entire other course along with the other students in the class. And um, it was, it was a lot of work. (laughs) Um, And I can't imagine the amount of work that it was for Professor Jacobson, because I felt like (laughs) I was doing a lot and she was doing twice as much and teaching all of her other courses as well. Such a great um, endorsement of sort of the teaching and learning philosophy of the school, right? Is this idea that not to back away from hard work when there's value in it. And I mean, that feels, from my experiences at Puget Sound, foundational. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, there's really no better example of kind of how not just hardworking, but resilient Puget Sound professors and students are to say, you know, in this time, what do we need? Um, And it wasn't to just kind of, you know, check out and kind of recede into the fear of the pandemic that was going on, but to really hit it head on 
and say, let's combat these fears or the information that we're receiving and let's do our own research and let's answer our own questions. Um, and I think that's very indicative of my Puget Sound education experience thus far. Um, I think it's, you know, to a T kind of the priorities of professors. Hey there, I'm Ryan Del Rosario, Assistant Director of Admission and School of Music Admission Coordinator. I'm checking in to make sure you know about Puget Sound's conservatory-style School of Music. Puget Sound students can major or minor in music performance, music education, music business, and composition. Non-majors can take music classes, play in our ensembles, and even be eligible for scholarship. Visit pugetsound.edu music to find out more. But for now, back to the show. also want to talk about what you do when you're not in class. <laughs> the other half, or I mean, it's hard to think about your life as a pie chart, but the other big part of your life at Puget Sound in Tacoma, what other stuff are you involved in? That is a great question. <laughs> um, as much as my education at Puget Sound does not define me, um, I'm involved in quite a few other areas of campus, as I think many Puget Sound students are. Um, you know, the cliche of you've met one Puget Sound, if you've met one Puget Sound student, you've met one Puget Sound student. Um, <laughs> the Everyone is involved in a lot of different areas. So I kind of followed that pattern as well. Um, I'm a tour guide for the admissions office. Um, I'm in the honors program and I was recently elected to be the president of the honors advisory committee. So I help plan honors events um, and kind of oversee the happenings of the honors program. Um, I'm also in Greek life. Um, I was on the improv troupe my sophomore year. I haven't been on campus in a year, so I'm going to be starting that up soon again. Um, and then I'm also on the repertory dance group, which many students are as well. <laughs> the no-cut dance team. Um, that's one of my favorite things that I do on campus. Um, so yeah, kind of all of that mixed and baked into a beautiful pie is kind of my Puget Sound day-to-day. -day. I presume, but you should absolutely tell me if this is wrong, that all of those things that you said that are sort of filling in spaces in your life, that you didn't start in all of them right away on day one, that it was a process of figuring it out. Can you walk me through some of that and what the evolution of that is? Absolutely. Um, you know, going into Puget Sound, <laughs> I, I think I had kind of an idea of, you know, the spaces that I wanted to be in and the clubs that I wanted to be a member of, um, you know, and then coming to Puget Sound and kind of experiencing the college experience and getting the chance to be exposed to so many different opportunities was really eye-opening. You know, I always laugh at, you know, if you had told high school me that I was going to be on the dance team and in a sorority, I think I would have either just laughed or punched me in the face because <laughs> it was just very unbelievable to me. Um, so yeah, it's kind of just been a slow progression of adding things and trying things out. Um, and I, you know, if I have any advice for any incoming or prospective students, try everything because <laughs> you really, you never know what you're going to like and what's going to stick. Um, I'm a very outdoor oriented person. Um, so coming into Puget Sound, I kind of assumed that my path was going to be kayak club, Puget Sound Outdoors, you know, anything outdoor oriented that I could get my hands on. Um, and while I'm definitely still involved in that, and I still definitely prioritize the outdoors, 
I've added so many things that I never would have imagined I would have added. Um, and that just kind of comes from, you know, a friend saying, Hey, I'm going to go try out for the dance team. Do you want to come? It's no cut. And me being like, okay, sure. Sounds great. <laughs> um, and just showing up to an improv audition, never once having done improv or comedy or acting or any of that. And just saying, Hey, maybe I'm funny. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and just trying it out and just seeing what I like. And, you know, that obviously comes from trying other things. I, you know, tried a few clubs that I thought, okay, maybe this isn't really for me. Um, and I never went back and that's totally okay. Um, you know, putting your name on 100 different email lists at the club fair at the beginning of the year is kind of the first step into, you know, seeing what do I want to try out and what sounds interesting, just what piques your interest. So, you know, coming in, just thinking I'm going to be, you know, kayak club. And now I'm a Spanish major <laughs> uh, in Greek life. So it, it really is just not, you know, it's not what meets the eye. It's just your experience and what really resonates with you. One of the things that I always thought is so wonderful about that is that it is organic and it's not only is it maybe going to be different than your expectations, but that even as we talk about all these Puget Sound students having all these really rich and different experiences, that it's also not like a race to the top, right? It's never like, well, I'm in five clubs and ugh, I got to get in six, <laughs> right? right? But it's this very... Um, like pleasant unfolding to your point of a friend says, Hey, I'm going to go to this thing. Do you want to come? Or you think, Oh, maybe I'll get out of my comfort zone and try this and see how it goes. And it's, I think that creates a different kind of community. For sure. Um, yeah, I think it's exactly that. I think no one is in competition to have one more thing or have one more, you know, diverse thing or try to be different in any way. It really is just, um, kind of taking it slow at first. And then as you meet people, so many people have these rich experiences and so many people are involved in so many different areas of campus. Um, and as you meet them and as they kind of inspire you to try new things, you kind of yourself create and are hand making your own rich experience to then kind of inspire other people to join. Um, you know, I think I single-handedly have gotten at least five people to join the repertory dance group because I think it's so much fun. And I was somebody who never saw myself joining that community. And now that I'm in it and now that I love it and now that I understand that it's not what you think it is. And there's so many different people involved in, in this one program. You know, I'm inspired to say, you got to come try this. Like, I promise you'll like it. Um, and even if you don't, that's okay. Um, and, and, and doing that, I think it is kind of this very cyclical thing of being introduced to new things and adopting them as your own and then being inspired to introduce others to that same thing. And using RDG as an example, because Repertory Dance Group is, I think, one of the two most popular student-led clubs on campus. Like, mm -hmm. Technically a club, but when I think of a club, I sort of think of a like meeting with a handful of people in an empty classroom with some snacks. Absolutely. RD, RDG is a very different manifestation of the concept. Yes. <laughs> Will you walk listeners through a season in RDG? What is it? What happens? What's yeah. the end? Um, as I like to joke, it is the Super Bowl of Puget Sound. <laughs> um, it is uh, this really amazing Thing. And as you said, I, I don't really like to call it a club or a group or a team because I'm not really sure what it is. It's just this really amazing community of people who have either, you know, been dancing their whole lives or never danced a step in their life. 
um, and it is a no cut. So at the beginning of the semester, we have what they call placement. Um, they don't call it an audition because it's not an audition. You're not auditioning for anything. You're just kind of showing up to be placed <laughs> somewhere. Uh, so you show up for placement, you do some dances, you get to meet everybody. And the first thing they say when you walk into the room is congratulations, you're on the team. Um, because just walking in the room, you know, ensures you a spot and a place in the community. Um, and it's all student run. So all of the leaders, all of the choreographers, all of the dancers are all Puget Sound students. So basically, you know, returning students have choreographed dances to various songs and all types of dance. So hip hop or contemporary or Irish step dance, anything that you can imagine. Um, students have compiled these, these dances and you get placed in them throughout the semester. So you can be in one or two or even sometimes three different dances. You spend the semester rehearsing and practicing with the people that are in your dance with your student-led choreographer. Usually practices are about twice a week um, and it is all leading up to this culmination of all of your hard work. And we have a big show or recital or performance or whatever you want to call it um, at a local high school, it's Wilson High School. Um, and that's because the auditorium is really big and we need a lot of seats because it is a very large, massive event with almost all Puget Sound students I know, at least in the show or attending. Um, that's why I like to call it the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, and it's two nights. We do two different performances um, and everyone gets to show off their dances to the entire school. And it is just a big, fun, really exciting time where all of your friends can come and cheer you on. Well, and just to illustrate your point about sort of the energy of the crowd, one of my favorite pictures of anybody I know is of a friend of mine at RDG in his senior year. And he is in this picture. I don't know who took it because it's like from a little bit ways out, but he's obviously cheering like at the top of his lungs, applauding and seated in the road directly in front of him are President Crawford and President Crawford <laughs> also yes. cheering enthusiastically. And it's just such a charming like little microcosm of everybody's there. It's such a positive thing. Everybody's so enthusiastic about every part of it. Absolutely. It is just the most amazing thing because there are people up on stage who have never danced a day in their life, but they have worked all semester for this. And whether they completely mess up or they totally nail it, the crowd does not care. The crowd is there to support you. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's so much fun. And I was told my first semester doing RDG, you know, I was, we were practicing for the performance and my choreographer said to me, she was like, you know, I'm not trying to freak you out, but you should really know the dance in your heart and, you know, in your head and be able to do it without music, because I can assure you, you're not going to be able to hear the music because everyone is going to be screaming so loud <laughs> that you're not going to hear a thing. So just know it in your heart because you're kind of going to be dancing blind up there. And it was totally true. I couldn't hear a beat of the music because everyone in the crowd was just having such a good time. So I think it, it really is kind of a culmination of all of the Puget Sound, you know, support and everyone just coming together to just have fun. Kate, when you think about your Puget Sound experience relative to maybe like some stereotypical ideas of college or some archetypal ideas of college or even your idea of college. Is there anything that stands out now that you're about to be a senior, which of course there's still a year to go and a year's a long time. As you're kind of thinking about coming into the home stretch, is there anything that stands out? Um, yes, absolutely. I mean, I think 
in a lot of ways, it has been exactly that archetypal ideal of college. And in a lot of ways, it's been exactly the opposite of that. Um, <laughs> and I think, again, that's just kind of indicative of a Puget Sound experience. I mean, when I think about kind of the traditional college experience, um, you know, thinking about playing Frisbee on Todd Field and hammocking in the trees, that feels very like, okay, yeah, this is the very much, this is the college experience. Um, but at, in a lot of ways, it's not, because um, kind of thinking about, you know, my idea of college or what I had seen from the movies, I, you know, professors are kind of these scary people that are hard to approach. And, you know, they sit in the front of a big lecture hall and um, they're intimidating. And, and that's not the experience I've had at all. Um, the professors have been so welcoming and kind and they have office hours just for you to go and ask them questions. And, and I feel like they've really gotten to know me and my study style and who I am as a student and as an intellectual. And, you know, they know my name and they know my dog's name and, you know, they know things about me. Um, and I think that was a, a real surprise for me um, to kind of develop my educational experience to really know that not just my fellow students, but my professors are rooting for me. You know, they're in your corner the entire way. Um, and I'd kind of thought of, you know, college as this place where professors have classes that are intended to weed you out or, you know, to test you and like whether or not you're cut, cut out to be, you know, this major. Um, and I found the opposite experience, you know, walking into the classroom and just being really just welcomed and everyone is excited that you're there um, and they want to hear what you have to say. I think that has been one of the most rewarding and just really positive surprises for me. Um, you know, and of course, you know, my experiences with, with student life and, you know, Greek life, you know, that is not at all the, the stereotypical experience that I thought it was going to be. You know, I see a lot of, you know, Greek life images from like movies or larger state schools or, you know, just different perspectives. And that's not the experience I've had at all. And it's been a really small, tight knit community of women that have also really supported me and been in my corner um, and kind of all of that working together has been this kind of non-traditional experience that I think is just unique to Puget Sound. I just think it's really, really special and I'm super grateful for it. Hey, we end all of our conversations by asking everybody the same four questions. First question is, what's your favorite spot on campus? That is really tough for me because I like to rotate. I don't like to stay in the same place at one time, but if I had to pick one, I would probably say Oppenheimer Cafe um, just because it's beautiful and the coffee is delicious. And especially when it's raining and there's water trickling down the glass, it's just a really peaceful spot to be. Um, it's not super conducive for studying because I always see my friends there and they always talk to me and distract me, um, but it is, it's a really great place to be. Second question is, what are you reading right now? I am reading. It's right next to me. <laughs> have it with me. I am reading Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, um, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement and this, you know, social climate and everything going on. Um, I've been making a real effort to educate myself and to really prioritize reading books about, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, the prison system and the justice system or the injustices that are within the justice system. So that's what I'm reading right now. And I've, I'm really, really enjoying it, especially as someone who wants to go to law school. I'm surprised I haven't read this before. I think it's crucial. <laughs> What's the best place to eat in Tacoma? 
I think the best place to eat in Tacoma is probably Silk Thai, which I think is a very basic answer because it's a very popular place and it's very close to campus. Um, but it's just the best. It's, I always turn to it. No matter what, I've tried different places and they're all good, but I always find myself coming back to Silk Thai. And to wrap things up, Kate, why is Puget Sound special? Puget Sound is special for a lot of reasons, but I think kind of what I was just describing with one of your previous questions is how non-traditional it can be um, and how unique everyone's experience is. Um, and that is, you know, in how supportive the professors are and how invested they are in your success um, and how invested all of your peers are in your success. And that kind of cycle that I was describing of people being inspired to have you involved in new things and inspiring others to try new things and to go outside their comfort zone. Um, I think that is just the way that the Puget Sound community operates. And I think it is, it's very special because it's a community that is thriving on support and uplifting one another, not just for their academics, but their personal life and anything that may be going on. Um, Puget Sound people are, they're here for you. Kate Harris, thank you for joining me on the Puget Sound podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to PS, the Puget Sound podcast. If you're interested in applying to or visiting Puget Sound, you can find out more at pugetsound.edu slash admission. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at UNIV, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. I'm Elena Becker. And we'll see you next time for P.S., the Puget Sound Podcast.